Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. As you've noticed, I am not a redhead. In this community of people, they love the redhead. He brings the fire every week. So if you're visiting us, welcome. It'll be better next week, but hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. No, I, uh, stop it, stop it, stop it. My name is Brett, and I'm part of the leadership team here, and it really is a huge privilege to to host you and have you. It is such an exciting time of year. Um, you may have noticed Gabe and Fee and Olivia weren't here last week. We did pastor swap, the big pastor swap last week where Mark and Candice came here and Gabe and Fee led the community on that side and we had lots of fun with that and now they are away. They are away. Resting, recharging because of all of you. <laughs> I'm just joking. It was just super fun to say. But really, uh, um, they sent their love. They really do miss us. It's two weeks not being here, and they really wish they could be here, but they're having some deserved downtime. And yeah, they'll be back with us for the Christmas services, but really, they're tired. But they're refreshed now. They see air. It's good. It's all good. I really, I really love this time of year. I alluded to it last week. I love Christmas. I love all the cheese about Christmas, I love the buzz in the air, the Christmas carols, the lights, all the different Santas, the different shapes, sizes, colors, all the elves, I love it, I love it all. I love Boney M. (laughs) Is there anybody here? Please. Thank you, Jesus. I really love Boney M. Actually, this morning I was saying, the rivers of Babylon. Mm. And also, while getting dressed, I may have been singing, uh, what's it? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. My wife just looked at me. She was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> my, fan, my wife is not a fan of, of Boney M, but that's okay. And um, it's also a huge privilege to have my, my family here today, my beautiful wife, Shelley, my youngest, Sarah, and Brittany. <laughs> Love, is there something you're not telling me because you're pointing at Andrea and V? I'm, I know it's Christmas, but it's a bit much. It's too much. It's too much. But yes, Andrea is an adopted daughter, and and V, not yet, not yet, not yet. It's fine, it's fine. But um, my youngest and I, I think, are the most excited about Christmas. We love the tree, we love the decorations. Brittany's there. Shelley, she loves Christmas, but not the cheese. And so Sarah and I decided we would raid Chinatown. We hit Chinatown hard. We trawled that thing, every shop looking for deals on Christmas lights. So now if you come to our house, if you have any form of epilepsy, I'd like, <laughs> I'd just like to put a warning out there. It is bright when it flashes at night. It's crazy. I'm surprised the neighbors haven't complained. But next year we're going the whole hog. We're going to buy the reindeers. You know, they've got the roof and the head turns and love it. We just, we were testing the waters. Couple of rope lights, some LEDs around. It's good. It's good. We're trying to start a trend. Also, you know, obviously with Eskim, we just thought, let's put them under a bit of pressure. (laughs) Irresponsible? No. Half the lights are battery powered. Just saying, we do recycle. But it is an important time of year. It's a time of family and rest. But most importantly, it's about 
the, the main focus about Christmas is the truth behind a Savior that came. Where God became man when Jesus was born. He came to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us, and that's really what Christmas is about. All the other stuff really pales into oblivion when you look at the real essence of what Christmas is about. And it really is the most wonderful time of year, and it's a great time for us to realize and the truth to sink in that Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of all. He really, really is. As you know, for those of you that have been here, we are in week three of our God is Here series. And um, if you didn't feel it this morning, God is here. And um, week one, Gabe preached around bringing hope to our disappointment, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Last week, Mark preached on uh, bringing courage in our confusion around the story of Joseph. And today, I'm hoping to inspire you um, to bring faith to our fear with the story of Mary. Um, but maybe you're sitting here and you're going, actually, God is not here for me. That's not a reality. Maybe for the person sitting next to me, but for me, that's not real. Maybe you've experienced loss. You've got issues with your family. Maybe it's sickness and not just the 24-hour bug kind. That gets very real. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's failure. And you're going, actually, God is not here for me. And I pray today that you leave here filled with faith to know that God is here, despite of you, despite of what you've done, where you've come from, where you find yourself. God is here. And so that's super exciting. Can I ask you to stand? We're going to read scripture together. We're going to turn our eyes to the screen. And I was hoping I got the font big enough. Yes. We're going to read Luke 1, 26 to 38. There's Luke sitting over here on my right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city, to the city of Galilee, named to a, oh, let's try again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think there may have been one verse missing there, which is, And Mary said to the angel, 
How will this be since I'm a virgin? Can you sit down? Could you just... Uh, I'd like to I'd like to bring some context to the story. In your Bibles, we know that there are two parts to it, an Old Testament and a New Testament. Just bear with me. We've heard this all before. But there's one page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. And from the end of the Old Testament in Malachi to where God breaks into the New Testament is 400 years of silence. In the Old Testament, God spoke to the prophets. The Old Testament ends with Malachi, Daniel, and the New Testament, 400 years where God doesn't break in. Quiet. And God chooses to break into this time in this place, into a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, to give you some context of Nazareth, Nazareth the scholars tell us, had a population probably about as many people as in, as in this room. That was the town. Do you know when you go on the N1 and then you get to a petrol station and then on the left there are four houses and behind that are another four houses and on the right next to the petrol station there's a 7-Eleven that's actually an 8-5. to five. Um, It was a one-horse town. We also know that Nazareth was the butt end of many jokes. Even the disciples said, what good could come from Nazareth? And God chooses this time to reveal himself to a young woman. Now Mary's often been depicted as this possibly mid-twenties, early thirties, beautiful skin from all the creams and lotions. We see her depicted on the stained glass windows in beautiful robes with a halo. That's been my perspective of Mary. I don't know about you. But actually, the scholars will tell us that according to the culture and the time, Mary was probably between the age of 12 and 15. That's crazy. Because my daughter's 15. So, 400 years of silence, the angel Gabriel appears to my daughter and says, you have found favor with God. She is a virgin. He says, no, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to give birth to a son who is going to save the world. It's crazy. It's crazy talk. Mary was also betrothed to Joseph. So betrothed is one up from being engaged and one down from being married. Essentially. Just to put in protection, uh, into context, so culturally at the time, betrothal was a year that was set apart where you lived as a married couple, not together, but you didn't consummate the marriage. So it's in this period. So you have a 12-year-old girl in a one-horse town that has an angel appear to her and tells her that she is going to carry the Savior of the world. And what happens? She starts to doubt. She has a lot of fear because she had a lot to lose. A lot to lose. She could lose her husband. How are you going to tell your betrothed, hey, I'm pregnant, it's not yours. Culturally in that time, you would be shunned. Joseph would be able to divorce her. 
the letter of the law said that you could be stoned. That's how crazy it was. And so this brings us to our first point of we need to learn how to resist fear. That verse 29 says, but she was greatly troubled at saying, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? We have to learn to resist fear. Fear always creeps in and knocks on the door when it's uncertain and it makes no sense. And we need to learn to identify that. But can I tell you that God is real and God is bigger? God is real than that. I remember the first time fear gripped me. I remember I'd made a decision in my life where I decided that I would take that act, that decision to my grave and I would tell nobody. And it was a transgression that happened before Shelley and I were married. And I remember just after Sarah was born, God said to me, you're going to confess. So the problem with that was that my wife had told me that if ever that happened, that she was gone. So after my second daughter was born, I suddenly had this fear that took over. Things became very real for me. So obviously, as any solid Christian man would do, I was like, I'm not doing that, God. And I tried to run, literally. It was the most crazy week of my life. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't focus, and God just hammered me. You will confess, you will confess. And as much as I tried to run, I just couldn't do it. And I remember going to Wally, who led the church at the time. I tried to see him. He was going away for a week or 10 days, whatever it was. So I couldn't see him. So the following week was even worse. But eventually he came back and I met with him. And I remember praying with him. And as I left, I said to him, Wally, she's going to leave. Because she told me. And she's going to take my girls. And I'll never forget sitting on that couch where I looked at my wife and I said to her, I was, before we were married, you were right, I was unfaithful. And I remember breaking. And I remember the favor of God pouring into that situation where my wife looked at me and said, love, you're not the man you used to be. I forgive you. And we started on our road to healing. Fear does strange things to you. Put yourself in Mary's shoes, 12 to 15 years old, in a one-horse town. Your future is set up, betrothed to a great guy, set up, family, provision, and an angel appears to you and tells you something that no one has ever heard. It had been prophesied that the Messiah would come through a virgin, but no one had ever heard that face-to-face in this context, 12 to 15, there she is faced with a decision. Can I tell you that fear makes us do stupid things and make stupid decisions? Fear will motivate our hearts to settle for futures much smaller than what God intended. That's what it'll do. 
if you allow it. And Mary had a decision to make. She doubted and said she was greatly troubled at the saying. Doubt is not bad. It's what you do with the doubt that makes the difference. We even know that one of the disciples was called Doubting Thomas. But he wasn't shunned or pushed aside. He was actually drawn close. And so doubt is not bad. It's just what you do with it that's going to determine your future. So what almost happens is when we don't resist fear, you end up taking on a posture of fear. Every time the phone rings, you're worried what's on the other line, whatever context that is. Telemarketers, probably a little bit shallow. But you're worried about the phone call. Maybe you're worried about sickness gripping your body and sickness that's not going to go away. Maybe you're fearful at work that you're under-delivering. Maybe you're fearful when your boss looks at you funny and you think, I'm going to lose my job. This stuff is all real. We face this stuff daily as people. But what posture will you take? We need to learn to resist fear and respond in faith. Everything in the natural is a setup for fear and disqualification, and yet God chooses to do the impossible in those situations. God chooses. It's not about us. What circumstances have you allowed to become full of fear and what response do they require from you? Christmas is a story about a young girl that said yes, that impacted the world. Mary ends and she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The possibility of death, divorce, being shunned, her whole world being shattered. She chooses what God says about her. God says she was favored. There's no pretext to say that she did anything miraculously amazing for her to be favored. She was just a daughter. And God said, you are favored. Can I tell you today here, you are favored. You are favored. You are not forgotten. Our second point is to respond in faith. And so this, this, this particular point has changed quite a bit for me. It changed again this morning when I felt God give me three new stories. And so I'll make them short. Responding in faith is critical, is absolutely critical to the way we respond to God. And faith often looks like it makes no sense. The dots don't join up. The T's don't cross. But God says, and when you step, then stuff happens. The problem is if you're wearing a posture of fear, you don't step because you doubt. And that determines your future. And so, 
The first story is just briefly, Shelly and I, we were working together, um, it was probably like 2005-ish, um, we were doing well, we were making bucks, we were both earning good money, and um, things were good, we basically did what we wanted, we bought what we wanted, we, we lived life, it was, it was great, and we took the decision, as we were journeying more and more with God, we felt God say Shelly needed to be at home with the kids. And so we crunched the numbers and we did whatever we needed to do. And that decision financially was probably between 18 and 22,000 rand net a month. But we felt in faith we needed to obey God. And yes, it was tough, eh? It was tough. That culminated eventually in so much pressure that we couldn't put food on the table. We couldn't pay for the nice car we had bought a few years before. That's a different story for a different time. Some of you might know it. But... We ended up having to sell that car. We had to make decisions. And eventually it came down to the good old credit card, the last lifeline, where you pay that thing every month and then just have to wait three days before the money clears so that you can buy your food or treat yourself to a restaurant that you can't afford. And it got to the point where we cut that card up in faith. I said to Shelley, We are not doing any more debt. We need to trust God. Can I tell you what God did when we did that? Can I tell you it made no sense? We didn't have enough money. We were thousands of rand short a month because then we were paying the credit card and didn't have access to that money. Phoned the bank and said, reduce that fee every month by the money we put in. Cut the card up. Can I tell you what happened? We had food in our cupboard that never ran out. I don't know what to tell you. There was food there that you'd open the cupboard and it was still there and you know you used it and you know what you bought and it was still there. I was repping. I drive my car, get home, my little Uno. Love that thing. I promise you that thing was on reserve. I get in the car in the morning and say, please God, I don't know how I'm going to make it today, but I need to get to work. Start my car, fuel. I'm not joking. I don't, it's, this is not a made-up story to try and draw emotion. For days, I never put fuel in my car. I get in the car every morning and say, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. Turn the key, there was fuel, I drive the whole day. Because we shrugged off the posture of fear, and we decided to respond in faith. Everybody's got a story, everybody's got a journey. I want to tell you God is faithful. The second one, a little bit later on, I remember sitting at the table view facility. I had a thousand rand in my wallet. We were in the middle of the month, and you'll know when you're on a budget, generally you don't even leave your money in the bank. You keep it in your wallet because then you know exactly what you have. I felt God say to me, put half in the offering. I was like, are you crazy, guy? Are you crazy? Put half. I didn't tell my wife. Put 500 rand in the offering. I told my wife when we got home. That afternoon, there was a knock at the door. There's a man who I love dearly. He said, God said, here's a thousand rand voucher to pick and pay. That afternoon, in faith, We gave 50% of what we had. We responded in faith to God and had a knock on the door and God doubled that money 
because we responded in faith. Now, I'm not saying God is a slot machine, a one-armed bandit where you do this, you get that. I'm not saying that. This is about your heart and why you are doing it. What motivates you? If your heart is not right, you're going to have a problem. You're going to learn the hard way. But I tell you, there's something that happens. Fear comes. You resist the fear. You step in faith. God moves. Perfect conditions for him to operate. Perfect. When it doesn't make sense and it doesn't line up, that's when the rubber hits the road. The last story is just recently, God told me to give some people, uh, a family in this community money. For about a week, God told me. I was like, no, I'll do it. Second week, no, I'll do it. Third week, God was like, give that people money, please. I was like, sure, okay. Went onto my app, did a transfer, e-wallet, for those of you that don't know. If you've just got someone's cell phone number, you can send them money. Anyway, so I didn't get a response. So I thought, I, I didn't do it for a response, but I suddenly thought maybe they'd never received an e-wallet. So I phoned and said, did you get the money I sent you? They were like, we thought it was a joke. They generally thought it was a prank. So I was like, no, it's real. Just follow the instructions, go and get the money. So they did that. Cool. A few weeks later, that person came back to me and said, we want you to know that we tithed on a job that we got. And things have been tough for this family, work-wise. And that money they tithed was substantial for them in their context. And she said, the money you gave us was the exact amount of money that we tithed. This is not a hocus-pocus game. We serve an unbelievable God. God is here. He is for you and not against you. And he wants to encounter you. He wants to encounter you. But here's the thing. For faith to be faith, it requires action. We need to make decisions and act upon them. Moses had to lift his staff. Joshua had to step into the river. David had to fling the stone that killed Goliath. Shelley and I had to cut up our credit card. Mary had to say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be done to me. Here we have a young woman, a teenager. Nazareth was actually called separate. From a place called separate, in the middle of nowhere, she makes a decision to respond in faith. How will you respond to your situations? Our third point this morning is to receive his favor. For me, favor and grace are in the same wheelhouse. You can't earn them. There's no hard and fast formula for them. It is God's nature that pours out grace and favor. It's just who he is. There's nothing we can do. We just have to learn to receive it. We look at an incredible story about a young girl who received God's favor. She didn't do anything. We know some more context from earlier on of some of her story. We also know they were poor. Because when they took an offering later on in the story in Luke, 
they took birds, a bird offering, which is generally, if you didn't come from a family of bucks, that's what you did. Because normally you would take a lamb. Normally you would take a lamb. They took birds. God is in the business of taking nobodies and making them somebody. Because of Mary's decision to resist fear, respond to faith, and receive God's favor, everything changed. Everything. She got to carry the Savior. She got to give birth to the Savior. She got to be a mother and walk alongside Jesus virtually every single day of his life. She was at his capture. She was at the crucifixion. She was at the resurrection. And she was at the end. It's a beautiful, beautiful story about a young girl who responded to the things of God. And this happened. The angel Gabriel came to her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you or overshadow you. What's interesting is that word appears four times in other places in the Bible. At creation in Genesis, where it says that the Holy Spirit hovered over the empty, formless earth. At incarnation, when the Holy Spirit hovered over Mary and she became pregnant. At the resurrection, the Holy Spirit hovered over the tomb that was empty, dead, formless, dark. And at the new creation where the Holy Spirit overshadowed man. And this is a little Philip saying, from the boom to the tomb, from the boom to the womb to the tomb to the upper room. God is saying he doesn't need your abilities. And he can bring life to your dark, empty, void spaces. And can I be honest with you, every single one of us here, including myself, at some point have dark, empty, void spaces. You can just own it. Because when you accept it, you can start to resist the fear, respond in faith, and receive God's favor. And start to walk free, instead of pulling the trailer behind you, wondering why life is so hard. God can bring life to your emotions, your hurt, your pain, your disillusionment. Will you let him do that this morning? We're going to take an opportunity just now to allow God to break into these places. Charles Spurgeon describes the Holy Spirit as the hound dog of heaven. And Psalm 23 tells us that God's mercy and love will follow us all the days of our lives. God is always reaching, always chasing always there will we respond. In verse 37, it's quite interesting. It says there that nothing will be impossible with God. It doesn't say nothing is impossible for God. We know that. Nothing is impossible with God. That is directly aimed at you and I. That when you do it with God, nothing is impossible. It's just a truth you need to take and smash that stake in the ground and say, actually, God, nothing is impossible with you. Nothing. There's a young girl who heard from the angel Gabriel in a small town with lots to lose. She stuck a stake in the ground 
and her future was amazing. God wants us on this journey. This is really what the Christmas story is about. About a Savior that came. Nothing is impossible with Him. He's looking for us to be redeemed, restored, rescued. Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome every trial, every obstacle that's ever been faced. And so that's why we need him. Because you are not the only one who's facing what you're facing. You are not the only one in the situation you find yourself in. Can I tell you if it's dark, empty, and formless, if that's the way it feels, it's perfect opportunity, the perfect conditions for God to break in and do what he does best. Can I ask you to stand this morning? This morning a word was brought around God not forgetting. I pray this morning you have the courage to step in faith, to respond in faith. Resist the fear that God can do nothing, that it's too big for him, that you are too bad, that you are not worth it, that you are not worth it for God to take time to break into your situation. Lies. Father, I thank you right here for your sons and daughters, for those that know you and those that are on a journey to know you, that you are faithful, that you are true that you are life-giving, that you are the redemptive God, that every single person in this room was written in the book of life, and there is a plan and a purpose for their life. Father, I want to come against doubt in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and I thank you for faith to rise, for faith to rise. If you read about the armor of God, it speaks about the shield of faith, and you, you read about there's a bit of trial, And you're putting on some armor and it says, then stand with the shield of faith. And in my mind, it covers you from the top of your head to the tip of your toe. When you stand in faith, when it doesn't make any sense, the text goes on to say, the shield of faith extinguishes every fiery dart, every lie of the enemy. When we don't respond in faith, we drop our shield And we get massacred. We allow the enemy to massacre us. So Father, I thank you this morning that right here in this place, we trust that you are who you say you are. We thank you, Father, like at creation, at incarnation, at at, uh, resurrection, And at the new creation, Father, you break in, Spirit of God. Will you hover over this place? I thank you for your presence. And will you break into the dark, empty, void spaces right now? I thank you, Father, that fear leaves. And the peace of the Father comes. I thank you, Lord, for your incredible faithfulness. 
I thank you, Father. Our only response is to say, yes, Lord, I receive. Help me believe, Father. Help me to believe it. Let it take root in you. I thank you for this truth. I thank you, Father.